0: Hi, I'm Mark Scott, Secretary of the New South Wales Department of Education, and welcome to Every Student, the podcast where I get to introduce you to some of our great leaders in education. You know, in my time working in New South Wales education, I'm struck by the fact that every now and again you get a hot school. You get a school that everybody is talking about, and I think of the achievements that were in high school when Belinda Wall was principal there. Or a guest on our Every Student podcast, uh, Murray Kittringham and the work that he's done at uh, Sir Joseph Banks High School. Well, at the moment, you know, one of the schools that everybody's talking about is Blue Haven Public School. And today I'm in conversation with Paul McDermott and he's the principal of Blue Haven. And it's one of our primary schools on the central coast of New South Wales. Blue Haven recently won the Primary School of the Year Government Category at the Australian Education Awards and Paul himself won the Primary School Principal of the Year Award. Welcome, Paul. It's been a big year.
1: It has been, Mark. Thank you. We've never been called a hot school before, so that's a a privilege. Thank you.
0: Yeah, and so um, tell me about um, how you got to Blue Haven. Let's go into your background a bit, because you're not one uh, one of the lifers in New South Wales education. Your background was in another state and in another system. It was. I,
1: I went to university up in Queensland, and the first job opportunity that I accepted was with Catholic education. So I spent 20 years with Catholic education and uh, learnt my craft with them. And um, when I felt I had the skills, I moved over to public education. You, you, and
0: you, you traded up to New South I did. Wales public schools. <laughs> hey, um, tell me, was that was that hard to do? I know people, I've spoken to people from non-government schools to say it's a hard system to crack. Was that your
1: experience? Incredibly hard. Yeah. Yeah, incredibly hard to break through. So. I had a good track record as a principal in the Catholic system, but uh, it was still very much a challenge, and uh, very grateful once I got the opportunity at Barnsley Public School to start in public education, and haven't looked back since. And, and uh, tell us about what you, what you attempted at Barnsley. So Barnsley um, is in the west of Newcastle, and it was a fairly low socioeconomic area as well, a school that was underperforming. Uh, the staff were frustrated. Um, it was a bit of much, pretty much a choose-your-own-adventure approach to education. We used the analogy of an egg carton, uh, where all the eggs are in the same box, but no one was really working together or collaborating or interacting. So um, the staff really wanted to have a look at the evidence, um, as did I, obviously. Um, so we really embedded um, a really strong evidence-based approach to teaching and learning. We adopted a signature pedagogy, which was explicit instruction, uh, we worked really hard together as a team and um, set a platform for our kids and we achieved some great results. So by 2016, we were ranked amongst the 20 top performing value-added schools in the state, uh, which was a big turnaround for the school and one that we were, we were all proud of. So I want to talk a little bit about explicit instruction, and that's certainly
0: the, the learning technique or teaching technique you've engaged at uh, Blue Haven as well. How do you use that prior in your system, and, and broadly speaking about explicit instruction, do you think there are some settings where it's particularly powerful?
1: Look, the evidence would suggest uh, in low socioeconomic areas it's uh, it has a huge impact, but uh, I would argue that it works in all settings. Mm. Um, all kids need um, that scaffolding and support along the learning journey. The recent research, even around gifted and talented education, says that you know we need to explicitly teach our gifted kids more as well, so... Uh, Look, it's probably not the flavour of the month, it's not uh, the trendy approach to uh, teaching and learning, but uh, it's backed by a very, very strong set of evidence, and and that's why we use it at Bluehaven, and we're using it to great effect there as well.
0: So um, let's talk a bit about Bluehaven. You arrived in 2016, Uh, you did your reconnaissance
1: of the environment there, and and what did you find? Um, It was a great school, Uh, and I don't say any of what I say with any disrespect to the leaders that were there before me. Um, there was a bit of a, a, an itinerant revolving door of relieving principals for some time, which all of those factors conspired against the school, I guess, in some ways. So one of the first things I did was ask the staff what the vision for the school was, and it wasn't something that anyone, anyone could articulate. So I, I thought that was a problem to start with. So people needed to know their why and why they were driving through the gates every morning to, to support the kids. Um, low staff morale um, I think that was reflective of the fact that uh, the community engagement was very low as well and there was quite a bit of animosity towards the school the reputation of the school was very low um, we had great kids we still have great kids um, but they, they didn't achieve great results and they didn't have a great belief in themselves so um, our NAPLAN results reflected that we were, were well behind the eight ball as well um, so we, we had some work to do we had a lot of work to do
0: now if you look at your NAPLAN results I mean that's one of the things that's brought, brought uh, Blue Haven into focus. You went from being, in a sense, about the bottom ten percent of NAPLAN results to really now being in the the highest performing decile, top ten percent. You've seen great improvement in evidence of your of the students over the time you've been at the school. So let's break down a little bit. You know your approach because it's not just focus on literacy and numeracy performance and NAPLAN preparation, mm-hmm. is it? Um, so, so what are the evidence-based practices that you're putting into place at Blue Haven?
1: So the pedagogy uh, is one of our real strong points at the school. So we work really hard on having that signature pedagogy, um, that evidence base behind it as well. We have very high levels of collaboration amongst all of our staff. We pride ourselves on giving our staff a lot of time to work together. There's a really consistent language across our staff. Everyone's singing off the same hymn sheet. And that was one thing that we worked really hard on was building that collective efficacy uh, across the staff and that's been really hugely effective. So there's a great belief uh, in our school in what we do and and why we do it more importantly. Uh, We focused really heavily on the wellbeing side of things as well. So there's a lot of wellbeing factors that were um, contributing to our poor results, uh, including the poor behaviour that we were experiencing back in 2016. So a really big focus on making sure that our kids felt known valued and cared for and safe when they came to school uh, and ensuring that um, parents were supported at home as well. So we wanted to get our parents through the gate. Back in 2016, there was a sense that the the wagons were circled and that we were keeping the parents out. So We wanted to open the floodgates and have the parents in and have them understanding what we're doing in the classroom and why, but to to educate them as to how they can support their kids at home. So, as so well. let's,
0: there's so much in that. Let, let's let's break that out and talk about that a bit. Let's talk about parental engagement. You know, I think I think one of the challenges that we can have in some settings is that uh, par- some parents can find schools intimidating. Uh, often, when they're invited into the school, it's because the news is not great about yeah. their kid, rather than uh, positive things to share. And some of our parents have got to be realistic, you know, their own school days may not have been that happy and it may not be a place that they reflect on as a, a successful environment for them. So if parents are feeling alienated from a school setting, what are the practical things you've done to make the uh, more, school more welcoming and to engage parents in partners in learning?
1: Uh, you're exactly right mark a lot of our parents had very negative experiences at school themselves so we tried to break that barrier down one of the the really fun things that we do as a school is we're out at the front gate every single morning so i'm out there opening car doors every morning we've got a teacher on duty at the front gate a lot of our parents don't get to come into the school um, so we meet them at the cars and open the doors welcome the kids in have a quick chat if we need to and um You know, we've got silly suits that we wear once or twice a term as well just for a bit of fun for the school. So we really do promote that we're a fun and engaging staff as well just to get the parents uh, to build trust in in what we do and who we are. Um, We spend a lot of time communicating with our parents because we don't have uh, a lot of engagement in the school or we didn't have a lot of engagement in the school. We create vignettes that we put on our website so our parents can engage with uh, different practices and processes we're putting in place. So an example of that is we have student-led conferences that we've introduced this year. So we did a vignette on that to explain to the parents how they work. And So like a little film or something? Yeah, yeah. just a short YouTube clip and uh, parents can access that. We put it on Facebook, we put it on the website and we're getting really high levels of engagement from our community through, through those sorts it's, of it's initiatives. It's interesting actually, you know, I think the... The tyranny
0: always was um, school notes buried at the bottom of the bag, uh, exactly. unread. And so you have a pretty aggressive online and social media strategy to engage parents here.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, And, and that's been really effective. The parents are saying that they really like those, they prefer those as a way um, to, to find out what's going on in the school. We use a school bag app as well, which um, sends notifications out to parents that anything that's happening in the school... But we also provide opportunities for our parents to come in and engage in the fun that we have as a school. So we have, uh, for example, Book Week. We have the big Book Week parade, as many schools do, but then we have open classrooms. So we have well over 100 and 150 parents that will come in and actually sit in the classrooms and engage in lessons with their their kids. Um, And and that gives them a really firm understanding that, well, look at the environment, my child's in. It's caring, it's safe, it's vibrant, it's happy, but it gives them more of an understanding of what they can do to help at home as well. Let's go to the um, explicit
0: teaching. Um, you, you've had a big lift in literacy and numeracy results. It's kind of an interesting debate as to how how you engage children, particularly in learning through reading. What are the approaches you're putting into place at the school?
1: So one of the, I guess, explicit instruction for me is the pedagogy of engagement. So what we're doing is buying our kids time in the game, and and that was one of the things that we encountered when we first started back in 2016. We had a lot of kids that wouldn't go to class uh, and we found out that one of the reasons for that is they weren't experiencing success when they were in there so uh, we looked at ways that we could give kids the scaffolding to support them through each stage of the learning journey and explicit instruction as I said was really heavily supported by the evidence Uh, but it was really having a great response for our kids as well which was most important. So getting the kids into the class was one of our first challenges and explicit instruction has certainly helped us to do that. We do warm-ups at the beginning of all of our literacy and numeracy lessons. So uh, what they are, it's a uh, really fast-paced, it's fun, it's engaging, it's previously taught content. Uh, that really embeds the basic skills that our kids need and transfers their information into long-term memory, which then frees up their working memory for the more creative higher-order thinking skills. So uh, they've been really, really helpful in getting the lift in our results, but also uh, providing our teachers... Um, with the platform then to move into that higher-order thinking style activity. Um,
0: was it a big professional development task for your staff? I mean, if you come in, uh, e- even though um, the the direct and explicit instruction that you're, you're talking about uh, is well covered in the literature, it may not be part of the teaching experience of many of the staff, you arrive, you have a plan, how do you... Get your staff on board with that plan, and how do you bring them up to speed with the capabilities they're going to need to execute it for you?
1: I was kind of lucky there because uh, the Blue Haven staff had heard about the results that we'd achieved at my previous school, so there were lots of questions around what did you do, how did you do it? Uh, prior to me starting at Blue Haven, a number of the Blue Haven staff came and visited while I was still at Barnsley, and we did a bit of a tour and visited the classrooms and talked through the pedagogy and explained why we did what we did um and those staff then went back and and I guess it spread like wildfire that you know this is like a lot of the stuff that came sort of spread the message this is going to be great for our kids so one of the first I didn't go into bluehaven with a preconceived idea that this was what we were going to do because I didn't know the context and context is everything when you're looking at change so uh, as we looked deeper and deeper into the context and what was happening at Bluehaven, we realised that um, you know teachers didn't have a great knowledge of the evidence and, and what it said about what worked. So we participated in lots of professional development, lots of professional reading just to upskill our staff and that really gave them the skills to question what we were doing and then um, support uh, the change process that we were putting in place. So... Um, we did lots of professional reading, as I said. Uh, one of the things that we do at our executive meetings, in the first um, part of every exec- executive meeting every Monday, is that we do professional reading. So every member of the exec chooses a reading, um, and we analyse that, we reflect on it, and that keeps us really current with what the research is saying, whether it be in wellbeing, teaching and learning, leadership, etc. So. Um, that was something we put in place in 2016. All staff were invited to come along to that, um, but it's been really—it's uh, been a great response from the staff in their interest in in learning more and building their their own knowledge and capacity. You mentioned wellbeing; it's a big focus of your work at Blue Haven. You put in a deputy
0: uh, for wellbeing. Talk a bit more about some of those wellbeing strategies that we can see at the school
1: now. So that's one of the beauties of our current funding model, I guess, is that we have the flexibility to put initiatives in place that suit the needs of our community. Um, We realised at the beginning of um, my tenure as principal, uh, my deputy and I, that we didn't have time to focus heavily on the direction and the change management because we were managing behaviour all the time. Uh, A lot of those behaviours, we were reacting rather than being proactive, so we wanted to get someone in place that was really going to support the students and their families in making good decisions because obviously that behaviour was impacting on the learning as well. So we used our um, RAM funding to employ a Deputy Wellbeing um, and that, that role initially was very reactive to behaviours, putting systems in place but now we're at a stage where the behaviours have improved so much that there's lots of proactive strategies in place so social emotional learning is a huge focus. For us at Blue Haven we've got a, a Donnie's Diner that we've got in place as well which is our breakfast club for the kids. We also put in place strategies such as our early birds program, which is um, additional learning and support that takes place. Any child that's on intervention is invited to come along to that. So um, we have about 60 kids a day that come to that. Last year we had over 5,000 hours worth of additional learning take place just because of that, um, that initiative. So... The wellbeing deputy's role is to oversee all of those initiatives and to support staff and to support parents so that their kids uh, are firing when they get through the gates each morning.
0: You use uh, tell them from me, uh, how important is the information you get from that? And do you get insights from that that you're not picking up through your other mapping
1: mechanisms about the wellbeing of students? We really do value the tell them from me. I think back in the first year that I was at Blue Haven, we only had 16 respondents. So that was a bit of a challenge that we set for ourselves. So... Uh, last year and this year, with both uh, both years, we've had well over a hundred respondents, so we're actually getting really good data now. Um, the data is giving us some really good information, particularly around that student welfare stuff. So we do analyse it really closely, look at how safe our kids feel at school, whether bullying's an issue, if there's something in particular that we need to focus on, how people perceive the leadership. So the Them for Me surveys are a great tool for schools, and we use it really well here at, at Bluehaven.
0: Um. I'm interested that you use some of your, your RAM money at providing pretty fundamental services. I mean, you, you run speech, speech pathology services and other things like that too.
1: We do. We, um, we have some great partnerships there. We spend about $150,000 a year on speech and OT. So any child that comes into our kindergarten classes at the beginning of the year gets a full speech and OT screener and they're all passed on to parents. But we use that data to uh, inform our teachers as to what we need to focus on. Uh, in kindergarten but we then also put therapy in place for the rest of the year as well so to use our OT uh, as an example we've got a great partnership with Newcastle Uni so we have uh, an OT that comes in a couple of days a week and brings two fourth year students in and um, some of the work that they're doing is absolutely groundbreaking it's making a huge difference so initially it was looking at the fine and gross motor skills but we've now moved through to uh, emotional regulation and um, teaching kids how to um, approach you know their' self-regulation strategies as well, which has been great.
0: Um, explicit and direct instruction, as we said earlier, at um, times a bit
1: controversial. Why is it controversial? I don't get that. I really don't get that. it's um there's so much evidence you look at the work of CC, you look at the what works document, you look at the early years reading strategies. my first um, foray into that um, turnaround schools um, research was with the Grattan Institute, with Ben Jensen's work. Um, it's, it's really strong, the, the research behind it. Um, I think people are drawn into those emerging disruptive trends because they're, they're cool and they're fun and, you know, it's great to be in those classrooms and we still do lots of that sort of stuff at Bluehaven as well. We do the inquiry and so the you, project based. So, so part of the suggestion might be, well, it's
0: pretty old-fashioned, right, hmm. that, that it's going back, you know. Yep. Uh, You don't see it as going
1: back? Not in our model, no, no. I mean, there's a lot of misconception that it's didactic, it's just rote learning. Anyone that's been in our classroom sees the high level of engagement um, with our kids. The way that we had to set it up back in 2016, there was a lot of rote learning because our kids had so many gaps in their learning. But if we look at what we're doing now, there's so much um, movement through to um, applying kids' knowledge rather than just learning. So rote learning around knowledge? Knowledge and skills, yeah, Yeah. So even the meta-language, so we have had lots of, um, our kids didn't know things like times tables uh, or the, you know, how to find the perimeter of a rectangle, those sorts of things. So initially, particularly in our warm-ups, we had lots and lots of, um, we have three elements in our warm-ups, Recite, Recall and Apply. We were doing lots of Recite because that's where our kids are at. Now we are at the point where our kids are doing lots of application of knowledge and I guess that's the true essence of um, explicit instruction. is It's a gradual release model, and if you're doing it well, you're releasing that responsibility back onto the kids as quickly as you possibly can. I think what people fall into the trap of is um, not releasing responsibility back to the kids and just being teacher directed all of the time. That's not the model we use at Blue Haven. Okay, so we release responsibility really quickly, and the better our kids are, the quicker we release that responsibility. Is it more work for teachers? It is a lot of work, uh, but that's something, once again, that we factor into it. Uh, So we provide lots of support for our staff. Uh, We have collaborative planning days every five weeks. Uh, We have staff wellbeing sessions every term to to make sure that we're looking after them as well. It's a lot of work, but when you get the results, it's worth it. Our teachers always worked hard. That's one thing that our teachers constantly say to us at Bluehaven. We always worked hard, but we never got the reward. Now we're working hard. And we're getting great reward. It's interesting. It's a theme that I use this year when I was
0: out and about meeting with school principals all around the state. You know, I I would say, I know you're exhausted. It's a very demanding, very Mm. uh, intense job. Of course, it's tiring. There's always more work to do. I just want you to be tired for a purpose. And that you're really seeing the improvement and the improvement brings its own rewards. Um, You know, you've... You've seen great things for these kids, and if you've got a young person who's come through Blue Haven and, and felt the lift themselves um, that, that you, you, you're bringing, you then uh, send them off to high school. How Are there transition challenges for students who may have um, uh, you know, come through your school and then is, is cut loose in a high school where
1: perhaps there isn't that level of structured learning? I think there are tra- challenges for all kids that transition from primary to high, but we're very aware of that as well. So one of the things that we've done is network really closely with our, our feeder high schools. Uh, both of our feeder high schools have been in and observed the lessons um, that our kids are participating in. And one of the key messages, I remember sitting around the table with a group from North Lakes High, and um, one of the teachers said, wow, we're just underselling these kids. Like They were seeing what they were doing in the primary setting, and um realising that they need to up the ante when they yeah. get to high school. So um, one of the things that we've put in place as well is that we're actually designing some starter lessons for Year 7 when they get to Year 7 um, to make sure that um, the teachers are aware of kind of the content that kids were finishing on at the end of Year 6. Look, it's a big issue, I think, and um, Maury Mulheron said to me in an earlier Every
0: Student podcast that transition is an area that we need to work on far more, and I often think that Year 6 kids are at the top of their game you know, are full of confidence, leaders, you know, running the school assembly, um, you know, just almost at their happiest time at school. And then six weeks over summer, miraculously, they're squeezed back at the bottom of the pile. And, and there's, there is a question whether high schools really know what these kids are capable of
1: and are picking them up from where the primary schools have left them. Yeah, that's true. And we're very aware of that as well. So one of the things that we're doing next year, for example, is... Um giving more flexibility in our Year 6 classrooms. Um, We're going to send our Year 6s over to the high school more regularly. We're going to have the um, high school teachers come over and work with our um, Year 6 students. We're going to have more movement for these kids so they get used to that movement that happens in high school as well. So um, looking at ways that we can assist them to be better prepared when they do go there, but also to make sure that the high school is better prepared for them when they do come over as well. But but
0: what you were saying earlier about release, if in fact you've fill those gaps, there's a strong skills foundation, there's a strong knowledge base, you're really releasing young people to be independent learners mm. and that independent learning is going to be very important in
1: their high school success. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, you hear some great stories about that connection with industry that a lot of the high schools have and uh, giving kids the opportunity to be more flexible in, in the pathways that they choose at high school. So hopefully our kids will be really well prepared for that when they're, when they're ready for it.
0: As we, as we said at the beginning, it's been a big year... All of a sudden, um, awards, attention, Sydney Morning Herald, photographers, lots of visitors.
1: How are you dealing with all the attention? I'm really comfortable with podcasts, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a good head for podcasts, so I'm really comfortable with this. Um, so, look, it, it's, we're really proud of what we've managed to achieve as a team. It's not down to any one person. Um, so, we're really proud... As a team, that we've managed to, to lift um, the result, it's not all about naplan to us. It's about providing pathways for our kids and um, our kids believing in ourselves is probably the greatest reward. The lift that it's given our community. Back in two thousand and sixteen, there were plenty of people prepared to say lots about Blue Haven and Blue Haven Public School, um, and it wasn't all great uh, back in back then. But now in two thousand and nineteen, there are also lots of people talking about our school and. Uh, now it's very heavily weighted in the positive, which is, which is just great. It's great for our community. It's great for our school. Um, from, from my perspective, um, I want this for every child. I want every child to benefit from the turnaround success that we've had at the school. So we have lots of visitors to our school. We're more than happy to have them. Um, within reason, we try to manage it to not uh, have too many people in classrooms for our teachers' sake as well. So, um, yeah, we're, we're really happy to share our story. Because back when I started the, the turnaround and the school improvement journey I didn't have people to share with and to pick ideas off so um, if people want to come and find out what we're doing and share in the story, we're more than happy to do that. It's a great story
0: and one of the things that I find quite compelling about it is that in the greatest scheme of things it hasn't taken too long you know it's three years right and three is a long time in in a primary school student's life but in the history of public education not too long and and I think, Uh, At times we can fool ourselves that it's going to take decades to turn things around, but with strong leadership, committed leadership team, alignment of strategy and resources, clear community focus,
1: evidence-based, you can make a big difference in a short period of time. I absolutely believe that. The research says it should take six to seven years, but I think um, if you work smartly and put all the right things in place, and the thing that we've done is we've moved quicker than the The research would say we should have with the change, but we've supported everyone along the journey. So very high levels of support, using the evidence as a guide, um, and it it can happen quick. Yeah. It can happen really quickly. And if you want to uh, know more about the uh, story at
0: Blue Haven, uh, CC, the Department's Centre for Educational Statistics and Evaluation, has done a case study and a video on uh, Blue Haven, and you'll be able to read that at the uh, CC website. And uh, I'm sure that there'll be continuing to be more reporting on what's happening at Blue Haven. You're three years in, you're only halfway through that journey, right? Absolutely. Thanks very much for your time today, Paul McDermott. And thank you for listening to this episode of Every Student. Never miss an episode by subscribing on your podcast platform of choice or by heading to our website at education.nsw.gov.au slash every student hyphen podcast or if you know someone who is a remarkable innovative educator that we could all learn from you can get in touch with us via twitter at new south wales education on facebook or email every student podcast at det.nsw.edu.au thanks again and i'll catch you next time